Hello, and welcome back to Cinema at First Sight. I can already tell that I am filming these horrendously out of order, so I have no idea what episode we're up to, but if this is your first time listening, welcome, join us. The premise of this podcast is that I will watch either the first episode of a TV show or the first half of a movie and review it based on as little information as possible. Just make wild assumptions and judgment calls with no knowledge of what's going to happen next. Today, I am going to be tackling the new Apple TV Plus original series, Schmigadoon. It is a musical comedy by SNL creator Lorne Michaels. Clearly, the name itself is a parody of classic golden age movie musical Brigadoon, and it has an all-star theatrical cast. If you know anything about me, you know that I am quite the musical theatre fan, so to say that I'm excited to dive in is an understatement. So first question, is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? This is a first time watch, which considering it came out a few weeks ago isn't too bad. However, as an aforementioned major fan of musicals, a major fan of movies and a major fan of television, I'm kind of ashamed to be this far behind. I'm slipping. I'm off my A-game. What even is my brand anymore? Or my personality? I don't know. But I'm gonna stop having an existential crisis on this podcast and delve into some basic plot points of the pilot. So the episode begins as we're introduced to our protagonists, Josh, played by Keegan-Michael Key, and Melissa, played by Cecily Strong. Did I mention that this show is created by Lorne Michaels? We love an SNL cast integration. The two have a classic rom-com meet cute in front of a faulty vending machine at the hospital where they work. Josh tells Melissa to kick it, to jostle her chocolate free, she's then showered in free candy, and before we know it, we skip forward a year and they're madly in love. However, we then skip forward three years and they're now in a complete uncommunicative rut because Josh is being distant and moody and is afraid of commitment and Melissa, in my opinion, is being perfectly reasonable. As you can see, totally impartial. To try and mend their dying relationship, the two decide to go on a hiking retreat. However, how being forced to spend 24 hours a day together outdoors with little to no reception would make them grow closer, I do not know. Sounds fake, but okay. As I predicted... Things are off to a rocky start. The two start fighting, that pesky, pathetic fallacy kicks in, and in an attempt to find some sort of shelter in the pouring rain, the two follow the sound of music, see what I did there, and cross a bridge into the town of Schmigadoon. Right off the bat, both them and the audience can tell that Schmigadoon is no ordinary town. The plants? Completely fake. The scenery? Literal backdrops. The colours? saturated beyond belief. However, the most notable weird thing about the place is that they're greeted by an entire chorus of racially diverse ensemble members dressed in colourful turn-of-the-century farm chic and singing a song appropriately called Schmigadoon, which straight up sounds like every song on the Oklahoma soundtrack. Musical-hating Josh wants to die. However, Melissa's pretty into it. And the two seem to think that the town of Schmigadoon is one big tourist attraction, jam-packed with, I guess, very method street performers. And they don't really question much beyond that, which to me is the weirdest thing that's happened so far. They meet a bunch of the town's people slash the show's insane all-star cast, including Mayor Aloysius Menlove, played by Alan Cumming, one of eight young and ditzy sisters, Betsy, played by Dove Cameron, non-conformist bad boy Danny Bailey, played by Aaron Tveit. Confidence-lacking pushover Reverend Howard Layton, played by Fred Armisen, and his severe, hyper-conservative wife Mildred, played by Queen Christian Chenoweth. 
Just as Josh and Melissa are about to get a room for the night at the local inn, Kristen, aka Mildred, bursts in to remind the innkeeper that unmarried couples are not allowed to cohabitate, so instead they have to get two separate rooms for the grand total of one dollar. I know the point of the scene is to point out how traditional and controlling Mildred is, but honestly, all I can see is straight up goals. Getting your own bed and also only being 50 cents out of pocket, a win-win. Melissa then goes out for a walk and runs into town rebel Danny, who tries his best to shoot his shot through a full-on musical number about how he can't be tamed. Miley Cyrus who? However, Melissa opts for the boring option and remains faithful to Josh, and the next morning, her and Josh plan to leave the town as soon as possible. They head back to the bridge, however, discover that when they try to cross back over it, they're just heading back into Schmigadoon. Then randomly a leprechaun, played by Martin Short, shows up to serenade them and explains through song that true love is the key to their escape. And no, this scene doesn't make any more sense in practice than it does in this summary. Determined to give it a proper crack, Josh and Melissa verbally declare their love for one another, set back over the bridge, and again, you guessed it, remain stuck in Schmigadoon. End of pilot. There's quite a bit that goes on in the between 20 and 30 minute series opener that I'm excited to unpack. So let's just jump straight into it. What are some of my favorite moments slash moments I consider to be most exciting or most pivotal? I think just one of my favorite overall things is the like zany quirkiness. It's a brightly colored golden age musical with the racial diversity and self-reflexivity of the 21st century. How can that weird, interesting, experimental mashup not be a breeding ground for zany shenanigans and quirky antics? We've only seen a hint of these antics so far, but I'm very excited to see what happens next. I'm very much a fan of the world that has been built. A great foundation. Another thing I just like about it is the wholesomeness. You can't watch it and not smile. It just kind of induces happiness, which I think is much needed at the moment. It's not too taxing. It's an easy watch. And I love a good bit of optimistic comfort TV. I also like the fact that it is jam-packed with a bunch of old-timey musical references, some of which I've picked up on, and I'm sure some of which I very much have not. So far, I've seen Shades of Oklahoma in the opening number and the costumes, The Sound of Music in the mountainous scenery, The Wizard of Oz in the aggressively bright colours and the whole I'm trapped in a surreal, magical, alternate universe and can't find my way back home motif, and then obviously Brigadoon in the outlandish nature of the plot and, well, like, the title. I love a good bit of fourth wall breaking in general, but I particularly love musical theatre illusions because I am personally a big musical theatre fan. I'm currently recording this next to my bedroom wall that is very unapologetically covered in framed Broadway posters. So I'm enjoying being able to pick up on references and Easter eggs along the way. It's like a reward for my obsessive nature and self-imposed musical study and analysis all these years. And this is something which I'm sure will become deeper and even more nuanced upon a rewatch or two or three or several, we'll see. And yeah, overall, I like the premise. It's a bit contrived, sure, people falling into a musical, but it's always a crowd pleaser. It's like a body swapping movie, it's not gonna disappoint. I see this as a bigger budget, more stretched out, grown up version of Teen Beach Movie with less autotune. Don't get me wrong, Teen Beach Movie slaps, which is why I'm liking this. They've borrowed from the greats. 
And then I guess the most pivotal moment is probably when Josh and Melissa aren't able to cross the bridge back to ye old New York City and are stuck in Schmigadoon, because clearly that sets up what the rest of the series is going to be about. The complication has arisen. However, there are two sides to every coin, so let's flip it, see what some of my least favourite moments are, or moments that I consider to be least exciting or least pivotal. This isn't necessarily a least favourite moment, but the show just kind of begins. We don't get much of an introduction, which is good because it stops it from being boring and cuts out any drawn out preamble, but also I would like a little bit more context. However, there is potential in future episodes for this context to be expanded upon through flashbacks, so we'll see. It's not even necessarily a criticism, but just an observation, and something that I would like to see more of going forward. My first actual criticism of the show would be that it is a bit too much like the musicals that they're trying to lovingly make fun of. I just think that they could go harder with the satire. For instance, the song Schmigadoon that the ensemble in the town of Schmigadoon sing as soon as Melissa and Josh arrive sounds like it's straight up from Oklahoma, or I guess any other outdated, problematic, semi-unwatchable early movie musical. There are a few lines in it that are comedic, but for the most part, it's just like a copyright-free cover of a song from those kinds of shows. Whereas I want a full, crazy ex-girlfriend style, lyrically hilarious parody in the style of a Golden Age musical, rather than a number that could easily slot into them. And then this is a random thing to dislike, but whenever we change scenes or someone arrives or something changes incrementally plot-wise, there's a kid with a massive lisp who pops up, stares directly into the camera, and announces what's happening to the entire town. And I think I hate him. Like, yes, he's narrating everything that's happening, and that's a bit annoying in general. However, I understand that that's the point, and he's being a total parody of unnecessary old movie musical narration. But I guess he's doing his job well, and therefore frustrating me. But the main thing that's getting to me is that I just hate a lisp. I'm sorry, but speak distinctly, or cut S's from your vocabulary. Is that mean? Well, I mean, yeah, of course it's mean. How could it not be? Sorry, actually, that's a lie. I'm not sorry. I'm just awful and I'm gonna have to live with that. But at least I'll be living lisp free. Okay, I'll stop now. Now let's delve into some of the characters because there is an all-star cast and I'm down to analyze them. So some of my favorite characters, Danny Bailey, aka Aaron Tveit. Obviously, I'm an Aaron Tveit fan because I have eyes and ears, but there is no bias to be found here. I find his bad boy character so funny. Danny is literally the epitome of slap a leather jacket on a clean cut, wholesome guy and pretend he's a rebel, aka every bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks that 20th century musical theatre has to offer. I also do not think it's a coincidence that he's called Danny and that Aaron Tveit, aka Danny Zuko from Grease Live, is playing him. Wrong era, right aura. And his song, where he tries to woo Melissa and show off how wild and not like other boys he is, is low-key the highlight of the episode for me. It's the funniest song, for sure. And obviously, performed incredibly because it's Broadway star Aaron Tveit, and I really want to see more of him. At this point, I'm actually rooting for him to get in the way of the main relationship. Like, pop off, break them up, do your worst. I'm in the mood for PG Chaos. And then I only have one other possible favourite character. I said probably Alan Cumming as Mayor Aloysius. He hasn't done much or really anything, but I love Alan Cumming. He's an icon. And he has such a commanding yet overwhelmingly positive presence that's already making the show better. So I'm almost 100% sure that the more we see of him, the more I'm going to be a fan. 
this is my podcast and I can make however many wild assumptions and take as many big swings as I want and you have to deal with it or turn me off. The choice is yours. So moving along to least favourite characters, I mean, I think the obvious one would be Mildred, aka Christian Chenoweth. I mean, her character is a Bible-belting Republican who, apart from not being racist, considering the surprisingly racially diverse nature of the town, seems to be problematic and backward in pretty much every other sense. She obviously stops Josh and Melissa from sharing a room because they're not married, and I think this is just the beginning of the conservative ends she's gonna go to to keep the town pure, aka repressed. She's a nightmare, a proto-PTA nightmare. However, I think her antics have the potential to be hella entertaining. Not only because we love to hate a villain, but also because that villain is being played by the absolutely iconic legend of stage and screen, Kristen Chenoweth. I love her so much. And even though we haven't seen much of Mildred yet, she's already killing it. She just brings her A-game to everything. She works hard for, and has most certainly earned, her legend status. And then another one of my least favourite characters is one of the two leads, Josh, aka Keegan-Michael Key. He's just so cynical and pessimistic and not in a fun way. I love a good bit of sarcasm, I love making fun of things, but if that's your entire personality and you can never actually enjoy anything because you're constantly looking for a way to roast it to, I don't know, seem cool, then you're not it. Ironically, making fun of everyone else and what makes them happy means that you're taking yourself way too seriously. He is also just a complete commitment phobe. He's been dating Melissa for like, what, three, four years? That's basically my entire life as an adult. To not even be engaged is weird. Either cut it off and set her free to find happiness elsewhere or lock it down. But maybe marriage is too late of a concept for him. Weddings? Contrived. Spending the rest of their lives together? A little derivative. Like, just shut up. I do like Keegan-Michael Key, though. He's really good at either playing characters that are insane, who I love, or the sarcastic straight men who I can't stand. He's for sure channeling the latter with Josh, but go Keegan. Get that major streaming service paycheck. And yeah, I touched on it before, but my final least favourite character is Lisping Kid. The character's done nothing wrong except narrate what's going on, so I can't judge his personality, considering he essentially doesn't have one, but what he drastically needs is a speech pathologist. Okay, now I promise I'm done. Okay, moving on to some predictions and speculations. So storylines I think will be expanded upon, or should be expanded upon, or what I want to see more or less of. I want to see more of Josh and Melissa's relationship pre-Schmigadoon time warp. We saw their meet cute, and then a clip of the relationship not working out three years down the track, but how did we get there? What did they look like when they were actually working? Are they even a good match? AKA, should I bother shipping them or nah? I need to know whether or not to be invested. I'd also like to see more of them shocked by what's happening. Sure, up until the end of the episode, they think that it's a quirky town with really dedicated and method Colonial Williamsburg-esque street performers, but regardless, I'd personally be absolutely confused. Like, why are these performers so committed? Are they getting paid to do this? If so, how much? I'd also try really hard to stuff them up and get them to break character like everyone does with the guards outside Buckingham Palace. I wouldn't just casually accept it without questioning what the hell's happening or trying to mess with them, so I would like to see Josh and Melissa do more of that, like actual people would. I'd also like some more music. And like I said before, more parody throughout that music. There is so much to make fun of from that era of musical. The racism, 
the sexism, the repression, the puritanical morals being shoved down your throat, the unrelenting optimism that makes you want to stab yourself in the face, the grating music that also makes you want to stab yourself in the face. The list goes on. So I'd really like to see all of that roasted even harder and melodically. In that vein, this may sound kind of perverted, but I also want to see more sexual innuendos. And please allow me to explain. At one point, the mayor's wife, Florence, makes a joke that her and the mayor got no sleep at all when they spent their honeymoon at Schmigadoon Inn because they were kept up by the roosters. I know it's a bit lame, but I like getting to inappropriately read into the innocent and ignorant, that's what she said-isms, of the puritanical Schmigadoon residents. That's a prime example of the kind of satire I'm after. I think I need therapy. I'd also really like to know how this happened. Like the science behind them traveling to some kind of weird, idealized, more PC version of fictional movie musicals from the past. Did they travel to an alternate universe in which people have always been more accepting and embraced racial diversity? And then from there been sucked into a 40s musical? Or is this a totally dreamt up world of Cecily Strong's creation, a la Wanda in WandaVision? Something tells me this won't be answered because I don't see this show taking an incredibly analytical scientific turn or pulling a last 20 minutes of Hitchcock's Psycho and having a character come out and explain everything that just happened and the psychology behind it for slower viewers. So I think I'll just be forever unsatisfied. And then I have some predictions. I think that Kristen slash Mildred is going to be the main villain and then accidentally end up sabotaging Josh and Melissa's mission to get home in some way. She'll for sure be an obstacle. And also, even though Ellen Cummings as the mayor has a wife, I think he's gay. Why? No, not because he's played by Ellen Cummings, but because his name is Mayor Aloysius Menlove. I see the joke coming a mile away, but that doesn't make me any less of a fan of it. If I'm right, that's actually so funny and I'm so here for it. And then my final question I have is just how much did they need to pay Martin Short to be a singing leprechaun? Because what the hell was that? I'm not complaining. But literally, what did I just watch? I also didn't mention it before, but 100% that's the least pivotal moment in the show. Yes, you needed to explain that Josh and Melissa needed to refall in love in order to go back to reality, but you didn't need to explain it through the form of a leprechaun singing a jaunty chant. An interesting choice. Now, moving along to most problematic moments. As I said, this is pretty wholesome, so it's not particularly politically incorrect. However, Kristen Chenoweth's character Mildred is like a strangely non-racist Republican caricature, so she's obviously a nightmare, but this is highly intentional. She's supposed to be a total stereotype and a complete villain, and clearly not an indication of the views of the writing staff. If anyone watching is thinking that, then I don't know what show they've been watching, and I'm actually probably worried for their mental health, like, are you okay? But apart from that, it's completely squeaky clean. It's an idealized, racially inclusive portrayal of classic golden age movie musical life, and self-referentially so. Cecily Strong slash Melissa literally says, well, it's a bit modern, they've adopted colorblind casting, and they really have in a way that doesn't even feel like a tokenistic diversity ploy. So good job, Apple TV+. Solid effort, Lorne Michaels. Live from New York, it's 2021. Now we're up to what category of viewing is it? I like to slot every TV show and movie into three categories of my own making, these being trash, meaning that it's terribly created, terribly written, treasure, meaning that it's amazingly produced and an Emmy-winning masterpiece, or guilty pleasure, meaning that it's not particularly well written, but I'm into it and I feel bad about the fact that I've been completely immersed into this trashy world. 
I think from everything that I've said so far, you can kind of guess that I'm gonna classify this as a treasure. I think it's well written and scored, has incredibly well researched and cleverly integrated musical references, and a talented all-star cast. Plus, it's just fun. It's a very sensorily stimulating Technicolor musical and a form of escapism, which I'm definitely appreciating in lockdown. But I'm also just a fan of in general. It's a super pleasant way to spend 20 to 30 minutes. Is it the best thing I've ever seen and my favorite TV show ever made? No, but it doesn't have to be. It's well written enough to be a treasure and a joyful viewing experience, even if it's only a fleeting part of my life. Now viewing style. Who would I watch it with? Where would I watch it? And who would I not watch it with? AKA the least and most ideal viewing circumstances. I think this would be a fun show to watch in a group. Ideally, that group would consist of musical theatre fans, but that's not necessary. However, definitely a musical theatre respecter is required to appreciate this show. You don't want to watch it with anyone who's cynical and professes to not like musicals, like the character Josh, because they quote, don't understand why people break into song. Like, shut up and suspend your disbelief. Nothing you see in movies or TV shows is real or actually remotely reflective of reality. Musicals are just more straight up about it. And anyone you watch this with should be cool with that. That's my only prerequisite for a fun viewing experience. However, obviously, intense musical theatre fans will get a deeper understanding and appreciation of the show, considering all of the Easter eggs and allusions to Golden Age musicals. So keep that in mind. Now, will I keep going with the rest of the season? Yeah, like I said, it's really cute. It makes me happy and isn't a remotely taxing or stressful watch. However, saying that, I also actually really want to see what happens next. I want to know if they'll ever get out of Schmigadoon and what shenanigans will ensue. But this journey and anticipation isn't stressful at all. I'm invested, but at an appropriate distance where I can enjoy what's happening, but not get immersed in the stress and challenges of each character. I want it to get messy, but I'm able to keep myself clean. And now, already final question. Rating out of five, I'm going to give it like a 3.5. I think it's really sweet. And as I said, all departments involved, knocking it out of the park. The acting and musical talent of the cast, the composers, the costuming and props, plus the detailed and layered dialogue and musical illusions. There's a lot going on and a lot of work that's been put into this. And it's a joy to watch for theatre fans everywhere. Like I said, not the best show I've ever seen, but it's really well done and a super pleasant viewing experience while it's here. And... That's everything that I have for you. If you're lured by the sound of this show and want to give it a watch, I definitely recommend you check it out on Apple TV+. And I will be back next week when I review something that, as always, I haven't picked yet because preparedness is overrated. I'll talk to you then. Bye!